Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal in our downtown studios in Providence. On a lovely, almost spring-like uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, quite a difference from a couple days ago where temperatures were in the single digits. I, I'm enjoying this. I, I hope you folks are as well. Uh, I am joined today by my co-conspirator uh, from WEI Providence. He's the co-host of Cordition Coit on the weekends and the sports director at ABC. Six Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? Well, you mentioned the weather, Bill. I'm living great now because in about mm, 48 hours, uh, well, a little more than 48 hours, it's not going to be this nice in Buffalo, New York, or Orchard Park, if you will. Orchard Park. And... Uh, yeah, I'm going to be wearing longies, I'm going to be wearing layers, and it's going to be really, really cold. But we get to watch playoff football, which is great. Yeah, busy time of the year in the sporting world, obviously. The NFL playoffs, uh, college basketball in full swing, uh, ramping up to the Olympics, uh, which will start early next month. Uh, Coit, a day like this, though, brings back, for me anyway, um, you know, I was thinking about this driving in. I would imagine you might have been having flashbacks to hitting on the field on a day like this when oh, you were yeah. playing college baseball at Emerson. Oh, yeah. Well, I, we would take advantage of a day like yes. this. I, I can remember a couple of times where Coach Hanley would, yeah, we'd see the temperatures and he'd be like, guys, get outside. Go find a place. Even if you're just hitting pop flies and, on the common or something like that in Boston, like just go outside while you can because we spent most of our – winter and getting ready for the spring season inside the gymnasium three stories below you know <laughs> yeah, ground level that's right uh and you know hitting in a cage that wasn't meant to be hidden with a netting and whatever and putting holes in the wall from all the bullpens we were throwing you know and all of that because i couldn't stop the ball that early in january <laughs> so or ever but you know um yeah, it, it, these were the uh, the days that we we definitely cherished, but they're few and far between. And uh, you know, most of it is you know this winter is spent in inside gymnasiums, and that's okay because we have a lot to to talk about and watch and discuss. Yeah, high school and college baseball in New England. Any day that starts with a four and doesn't have any precipitation, you're going to be outside. <laughs> uh, you know, hard to believe, but our college teams open up in less than a month with their yeah. regular seasons, which. Baseball in the start of February just seems ridiculous. I, 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 I'll never quite rationalize that in my head. Well, that's what it. The Division One schools, starts. okay. Division Three was always really, it was tough because again, you didn't have the sort of facilities and you know things you could take advantage of like that. I, I, I'm so jealous when I go up to Bryant University and I see oh. that field house and being able to go into something like that yes. every day. Uh, we would try to do that. There was a place in Danvers uh, up on Route 1 that we would try to go to Sunday nights. We would go up two hours. That was our two hours of getting our sliding practice in, our, you know, anything that we could. Uh, Your live you know, hitting, bullpens, yeah. catchers blocking balls, yeah, little infield bunt defense. That's all we could afford. That was all that was in the budget, yeah. you know, so right. <laughs> right. we'd try to take advantage of it. Now, this is a much better time for indoor sports, and, and with that, we turn to college basketball, as we always do on the pod. Uh, Coyte, we're going to start with URI, uh, who finally made their long-awaited Atlantic 10 home debut 
this season. Uh, URI opening up its conference schedule at home with a 75-64 win over St. Joe's on Wednesday night. Uh, they had two previous home games against Dayton and against LaSalle postponed. Uh, the first time was due to COVID concerns with the Rams. The second time due to COVID concerns with the Explorers. Uh, they finally started league play on Saturday. A loss at Davidson. We'll jump into that one a little bit later. Um, you know, but Coity, I, I, I just you know, I look at Wednesday night, and I think you or I had lost its previous three A-10 home openers under David Cox. Uh, you're coming in 0-1. No one wants to go 0-2. Um, you know, I think, I think it was an important result for them. And, and you know, I think it was a, a good thing in certain spots, the way the game played out. I, I can take some encouragement from certain statistical categories in terms of the way this played out over 40 minutes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and there were some things that I, I liked that I saw. Um, I think there's probably some things that they can improve on um, sure. with, with everything. Um, sure. But it, the result is the result. And um, I, I think they got some clutch play from a, a couple of guys. Uh, you heard me in the post game. I, I thought I thought the player of the game for Rhodey was Malik Martin. Yeah. Um, just what he brought off the bench. And I, I said to Coach Cox in the post game, I said he had nine points, but it felt like every one of those points were so important. They came in, and and the twelve rebounds of the twelve rebounds that that speaks for itself. And you know, Coach Goss came came back at, at me with the plus seventeen, which was like, yeah, okay, that that tells the story right there. Like yeah. when he was on the floor, he made such a positive difference for his team. Um, so yeah, to see Malik play that well, I thought he changed the game, and I thought. In certain spots, I, I thought uh, Jeremy Shepard, you know, looked composed, hit that shot that basically was the dagger down the stretch two minutes to go. Yep. Um, so that was great to see. And something we talked about, too, that stuck out to me, uh, we talked about it probably last month, was Sebastian Thomas and, and handling the ball a little bit more. And uh, I, it was – there were some good things. There were some tough things. Uh, you're going to have that with a freshman, but I liked seeing it. I liked seeing them put a little bit more responsibility in his hands because I think that, first of all, it shows some trust from the coaching staff. You'll like, like to see that. Um, they're saying, all right, let's go out there. Let's see what it looks like. And, you know, I, I think Sebastian would agree. There were, again, there were some, some up moments, some, some tough moments, but – that's a great thing. They're putting more trust in his hands, and that's that's going to allow him to grow as a player, and I think it's going to make a difference for this team as the season goes on. Yeah, I think it started late in the first half. They had a 7-0 run. They ended up with a six-point halftime lead. And, you know, what I generally look for in a game like that where it's sort of going back and forth and whatever else is, can a team turn it in its favor with some energy plays? You know, and, and what I mean by that is some blue-collar type stuff that might not end up in the box score. And, and when I see... Antoine Walker rip a rebound away from a G.K. Obina with two hands at the rim. And when I see Malik Martin get an offensive rebound and, and put it back with some authority, and when I see Sebastian Thomas take a charge, those are the types of things that get your bench up, sort of gets your team up a little bit. You get excited when you see guys putting out effort like that. And, and that tends to you know, sort of spread itself throughout your entire game. You have a little more zip on offense. Defensively, you dig in a little more in your stance. You might go to the glass a little harder because you're responding to your teammates at that point. The crowd gets up a little bit. 
you know, you the coaching staff gets up a little bit. You know that they're going to like seeing that on film. They're going to show it the next day and say, guys, this was really good. Really good spot in the game. Um, and I think that carried over the second half from the standpoint that you or I defended. And St. Joe's really struggled from the field. Finished 4 for 22 uh, after starting 17 for 28. Um, you or I forced them into 19 turnovers against just 9 assists. Um, you know, while taking great care of the ball on the other side, 17 assists and nine turnovers for, for the Rams. Um, you know, so they did, they did a lot of the stuff in the margins, I think, that helped them win this game. And, you know, I think generally good teams are able to do that stuff consistently along with the other things that show up that are a little flashier. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's funny, I, yeah, the 19 turnovers, I mean, 14 were in the first half. Like, whew, boy. You Tough. Know. Yeah, really, really, really tough. Because I think they they have some good players over there. You know, it feels like Funk's been there for how many years? This is fifth year. <laughs> He's in a COVID year. Yep. Yeah, but there's been a lot yep. of transition with that program. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. But uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think Rody. It's funny that the 14 turnovers came in the first half because I felt like, you know, Rody the, the defense really, as you mentioned, down the stretch, really I think clamped down. Um, and that's where you thought maybe you would see some more of those turnover numbers, I guess. Maybe it's just sort of backwards on the box score, but it was just straight-up good defense, uh, and they were just forcing tougher shots, mm. um, probably from like the 12-minute, 13-minute mark on, Yeah, because that's right around the time St. Joe's took the lead, and then, you know, Brody went out, it was a cold offensive stretch for them, too. Like, they weren't generating as much offense as they probably would have liked, but again a sign of a of a team and this is why i think that you know rody can finish in the top 4 somewhere if they can play this way it's a close game late conference game on your home floor and what do you do you have guys step up make crucial plays at crucial moments Malik martin and one with about 5 minutes to go Jeremy Shepard with that basket. Mm-hmm. You know, Makai Mitchell down the stretch had a basket as well. They was, shot clock was running out, and he took a mid-range, and he hit it. Like, making those sorts of plays help them down the stretch, help them earn a win on their home floor. And if you can get more and more of those, we've seen it out of Ish Alamine at certain times as well. If you have multiple guys that can do that down the stretch, you know, I, I think that's a sign of maturity. And it's going to earn you victories in, in games that are going to be tight. It's conference play. This is what this is what wins in conference play. Yeah, they were eighteen seven in the last seven thirty of that game. Uh, it was the direct opposite of Saturday, uh, where they got outscored seventeen to six in the last six forty eight at Davidson, uh, a seventy two sixty eight loss. Uh, a game court that, that really you or I played well for thirty three minutes and, and then let get away. And and I know the Wildcats are a good team, and right now they're the best chance the A-10 has for an at-large berth in the NCAAs. Uh, they're on an 11-game winning streak at, at this point. I understand all that, but I, I look at URI with a lead in the second half, playing well, um, You know, seemingly with the game. I don't want to say in control, but they're in a good spot. Um, and they play a few bad possessions in a row, whether it's a bad shot offensively, they miss a rotation defensively, and Foster Lawyer makes a three. And all of a sudden, the lead's gone like that. And now you're in a possession-by-possession game down the end. Um, there's a no-call at the end that you wanted that, that realistically I had a little different interpretation of. Uh, <laughs> you know. And then you have a technical foul on Mikhail Mitchell, which is just inexcusable. Um, you know, but I, I think that 
just from that standpoint, being able to put Saturday behind them yes, uh, and get into what should be a little softer part of their schedule by beating St. Joe's, I think it's an important psychological hurdle this early in the season. Good response. Response has been a word that we've seen thrown around a lot by our local coaches here. Yes. Uh, response. That's, that's a good thing to see. And you're right. Um, and this is something you brought up in the postgame last night because Mikhail Mitchell got called for another technical foul last night. Yeah. Um, and it, it was tough to see in that sort of spot um, at Davidson. You see it again, and it's something that, you know, David Cox, he said, you know, it's something we're going to have to address. You, you like a player to be passionate and emotional, mm-hmm. but it has to be in control. And you can't take that... And what was it, the final minute of the game? Where was it, 16 seconds left? 16 seconds to go. You're in a 69-68 game. Uh, Ish Leggett goes to the rim, goes up. He meets Hun Jung Lee under the rim. Uh, Lee is vertical. So at that point, there's no foul. Hmm. Leggett gets his own rebound. I think it's travel because no Davidson player touched the ball, and the ball didn't touch any part of the basket. Yeah, sure. Leggett regathers after he lands. I think that's a travel. But there's a lot of things going on. The officials missed that. They declined the first call on Lee correctly, in my mind. At that point, Leggett's surrounded by three players. He tries to go up through six arms. There's contact. He loses the ball. It doesn't get up to the rim. You or I wants a foul. Davidson says it's clean. The neutral observer probably says, are you really going to make that call in a one-point game with 16 seconds left? Right. Probably not, unless he gets clobbered. The contact was somewhat minimal. Uh, Mikhail Mitchell wanted a foul call like everybody else at URI. Unfortunately for him, he was too close to an official when he expressed his frustration. And now Foster Laurie is going to the line for four free throws in a one-point game instead of two. Um, And at that point, he makes three out of four. It's a two-possession game. You don't have a chance to tie with a three anymore. Um, You know, and so I think that's, you know, I did ask David Cox about that. Six technical fouls in the last nine games for URI. They've all been assessed to the Mitchell Twins. And the surprising thing for me on Wednesday is that Mikhail Mitchell would commit a technical in the next game after After. having one so damaging. Right. The game before. And, you know, I'm watching the play. It's a shot from the right elbow. He thought he got fouled. Turned to Ray Steins, who's the referee closest to him, and expressed his objections. Ray Steins let him have his say the first time. The second time, Mitchell's running back up the floor, turns back over his left shoulder when he hits midcourt, has his say again. At that point, the second objection, Steins tees him up. So he gave him a little bit of latitude first. You understand, and, and David Cox alluded to this postgame, you understand that these guys are competing hard battling hard they should feel a certain way about the game they should be emotional about the game but there is a line there there are constraints there you need to operate inside and and i think that is incumbent upon the coaching staff at uri to reel that in a little bit because as we saw at davidson and eventually in the future if it's not corrected it could hurt you down the stretch in a big game. And it did. It did at Davidson. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's obvious. It's something that's going to need to be addressed. It's something that Mikhail needs to, to rein in a little bit. And, um, you know, because you don't want it to become uh, a trend and, and a detriment to you as a player. Because you, you don't want that kind of reputation, no. too. No. You know, because officials will, they'll know. They'll know. You're going to see these probably crews 
at, you know, second, third, fourth times around, whatever. And so they're going to know. They're going to remember that that stuff sticks. It's it's a reputation thing. And you're a big guy. Yeah. You're going to be prone to files to begin with. Of course. You can't be giving away free personals on technicals. Right. Can't do it. Can't do it. So, you know, Mikhail, I, I, you know, I thought first half was the most impactful player last night, too. And that's the thing is he can have such an impact on the game. You're right. If he can rein some of that in then he's a force. He's a force. He is. Yeah. And and maybe some of that, hopefully not, but maybe did some of that affect his game in the second half? You know, maybe some of the call. 14 points first half, and then... Seven for eight shooting. Yeah. Second half, no points, 0 for three. Right. A one point. Right. And one you can't let that affect you three. if you're a guy like that Correct. who can have such an impact for your team. Too so. important to this team. You right. can't have that sort of thing going on. Uh, you know, this team has... A couple high-end players who, when they are playing at their best, can play against just about anybody. He is one of them. Yes, he is. He can't take himself out of the game. Agreed. Agreed. If opponents are going to do it, fine. Uh, you know, if you're going to get in foul trouble, I would say the natural way. <laughs> sure, fine. Uh, you know, but don't give away a free one uh, on a technical. Um, you know, Davidson, uh, you know, as I said, they're, they're on a nice run right now. Um, you know, four players in double figures. Lawyer, Michigan State transfer. Looked like the prototypical Davidson player to me. Uh, you know, passes the ball, can shoot it a little bit. Um, you know, he's heady. Uh, you know, not really much to look at. Just kind of an average guy. If he walked into your pickup run, you'd say, okay. He's pesky, Bill. <laughs> Very He's good. Pesky. I like that. That's that's what I think of when I think of a, a good Davidson player. Yeah. Pesky. That's true. That's what Bob McKillop brings in there, man. It's true. Jack yeah. Gibbs fit that to a T. Yep. And he was tough, for sure. Yep. Um, lawyer, similar size, similar conditioning, I think you might say. Sure. To Jack Gibbs. Yeah. Uh, you know, neither <laughs> one of those guys is going to win Mr. Olympia. Uh, but they are good basketball players, indeed. Um, you know, I, I also look at the Davidson game, and, and I think you know, Makai Mitchell's in foul trouble in that one. Antoine Walker's really good off the bench. Really good. 13 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists in 26 minutes. He's been their most efficient offensive player, according to uh, offensive rating on KenPom.com. And the debate right now is, you know, should he get more time? Should Sebastian Thomas get more time? Because he's looked like their most natural point guard, um, you know, maybe their most ready facilitator. Uh, you know, you said, certainly, he, as a true freshman, he's got some holes in his game. Um, he had a tweet about foul shooting, I think, late last <laughs> night or he did. I saw it. early this morning. It, it was a red face with a, with a glare. Uh, he was 0 for 3 at the line uh, against St. Joe's. Uh, you know, so I would imagine he, he's out shooting a few extra uh, at the gym or, or in practice. Um, you know, but he looks like the guy who is the most willing, most ready, and, and most able passer among this group. So I, I think... You've got a handful of guys on this team who, who I think we certainly see what their roles are. Um, you know, I'm just curious to see how that evolves going forward from a, a rotation standpoint. I, I don't think that they're finished yet in terms of who's going to play how many minutes at the A-10 tournament. What we're seeing right now I don't necessarily think is the finished article. No, but I think we're trending in certain directions. And I, and I think you mentioned with Sebastian, we're trending toward more minutes more facilitation more of that which is uh, again a, a good thing I, I thought would be logical just the way that he's progressed this year 
let him progress more. Let him let him keep playing. Let him get out some of the growing pains. Yeah. You know, so by the time you get to the A-10 tournament, you know, he can be a real asset to you. And the assists were something that David Cox had, had thrown out last night as as a positive for his team. It was uh, really good. Really good. They, they had 13 assists in the first half, which is as much or more than in six full games previously yeah, this year. That's huge. Excellent. That's huge. Really good. the ball. It's good offense. It really is. Um, and so, yeah, and again, I go back to, you know, I, I think Antoine, I, I like Antoine in terms of the, you know, the, the bite that he gives them, you know, when he comes into the game. Mm-hmm. There's just a... There's a confidence about him. There's a you, you mentioned that rebound that he ripped away from St. Joe's. Like that's just a yeah. that's a toughness thing. You love to have a guy like that that comes in, but he can do a lot of different things. He can score for you the way he did at Davidson. So yeah, um, you know I, I think he knows what his role is, um, and so when you need that, you know you can go to him to get that. Um, and Malik, I think uh, again I can't say enough good things. I just think that he's showing more and more. You know, a, a toughness himself, a physicality. You know, like David Cox had mentioned sort of the what he's listed on the roster is probably not what he is. Yeah, right. Um, which was kind of a, f- a funny moment last night. But uh, it, it's true that he, he can play, uh, you know, above his head in terms of grabbing the rebounds that he did and, and playing the physical style that he can um, and giving them the important moments that they need. Uh, and so... If if you know as roles evolve, uh, if these guys can continue to just stay steady in what they're trying to do, then it's it's going to prepare them for you know good play you know down the stretch and into March. And there is a pocket here where you or I could build some momentum. I, I look at the schedule coming up, um, you know, starting with St. Joe's, and uh, you know I look at UMass on Saturday away. Uh, I will be making the trip up to Amherst. I'll be on the road good like you, you. Uh, in a cold. Uh, suburban locale, rural locale, shall we say, <laughs> lovely Amherst. Um, you know, and of course, going to Amherst, just about every year I make that drive. There's snow in the forecast. This year there's not, but it's single-digit temperatures and, uh, you know, wind chills below zero. So, need to have a weather event if we're going to go to Mullen Center, I, I think. Uh, but after that, LaSalle and George Washington at home, your your considerable favorites in both of those games, according to Ken Palm. You're going to be double-digit favorites in each. Uh, Richmond comes in, and then you're at Dayton. Um, you know, so really, on paper, you're looking at URI with a chance here to win three or four games in a row and build some momentum into a game against Richmond, a team that was expected to compete at the top of the league. Uh, a road trip to Dayton, which Dayton's a very young team. That's always difficult going there. On their night, they can beat anyone. Kansas, they can lose to anyone. UMass Lowell, we've seen it already. Yep. yep. Um, you know, Then you have Fordham, UMass again before you go to VCU. Your eyes in a pocket of their schedule where they could come out 6-2. and two. Seven and one, if you really want to get greedy. Um, but there is a chance here for them to build something into the midpoint of the season. And again, because of some of the older players that they have, it, it allows you to think that they can get out to this good start in A-10 play and really build some momentum toward, again, what I think is, is the goal for this team, which is get into the top four, get to Friday in that A-10 tournament, and you know, gear yourself up for a good run when it comes to you know playing in DC and and trying to to get a few wins in a row there. And 
you know, if you build that sort of momentum, you're going to vault to near the top of the standings, and then you're talking about talking about trying to win a regular season title, which is hey, not out of the question if they build that sort of momentum. It's not. I mean, Bonaventure is as talented as we think they are, um, but. Hey, crazier things have happened. And again, if you build that sort of momentum, you get out to a good start. You're playing from ahead, as the Patriots need to do in Buffalo on Saturday. Play from ahead. Yes. That's when they're at their best. So <laughs> you jump ahead, that's a good thing. <laughs> this is why coaches can't stand us, right? They, <laughs> they, they hate media members because we are so far out of it. I know. You know we get ahead of ourselves. And they're just like, guys, next game at UMass. Traditionally, we've struggled there, even when we're really good. Yeah. Like, let's just, you know. I know. Like, let's just go and win at UMass, even if they are horrendous defensively, um, you know, and, and completely disorganized. They've lost three in a row. We saw what happened to Providence when they went to Marquette, who had lost three in a row to start their league schedule. They got their doors blown off because the Golden Eagles were desperate and played in A+. Um, you know, URI is going to have to bring it. On, yep. on Saturday. Yep. Uh, that's a 4.30 tip at Mullen Center. Um, the Rams generally travel pretty well to that game. I'm, I'm going to expect to see some blue in the stands. Uh, I don't know how much red we'll see because <laughs> the Minutemen don't necessarily pack them in uh, at the good old gulag there uh, in Amherst. Um, speaking of the Friars, Coity, I wish we had more news about the Friars. I wish we had more to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, Providence is in the midst of a COVID pause. Uh, the first time that Ed Cooley's program has run into issues uh, with either positive tests or close contacts since the pandemic started at the beginning of last year. They were the final Big East team uh, to go into pause, the last of the 11 to do it over a two-year period. Uh, it has cost them uh, two games to this point. Uh, road trip to Creighton on Tuesday. They were already in Omaha. The game was canceled on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, will be rescheduled at a later date. And now Connecticut on Saturday. The Huskies were scheduled to come to the Dunkin' Donut Center for a showdown in the afternoon. Providence is looking for a season sweep over UConn. Uh, that game has been postponed as of Thursday morning and will be rescheduled. Um, Providence's next possible time taking the floor Tuesday at Seton Hall. You have to be skeptical about that at this point. Um, you're now looking Thursday against Georgetown which is January 20th at home. Maybe Butler on the following Sunday, January 23rd, which is also at home. Maybe those two dates are more realistic. But, uh, you know, Coity, you, you look at Providence, they're 23rd in the AP poll, 14-2 and two start, 4-1 and one in the Big East. Um, there is no good time for a COVID pause, and, and we hope that Ed Cooley and, and his staff and his guys are all healthy and feeling okay. We know they have a very high vaccination and, and booster rate there, so we would imagine that they're going to be all right. Um, you know, but this this is difficult. It's difficult to watch for me from the outside. I, I can imagine how they feel going through it. It's difficult to be dealing with this um, for a second straight winter. Um, and, it, and it came on so fast in the month of December. And, um, you know, I, I think there's there's people from everywhere that are, that are dealing with it. And so you hate to see, um, you know, a program that, that has pretty much has, has been able to knock on wood avoid it um you know be faced with it uh finally now especially with just how how great the season's been but first and foremost health and and i hope that everybody in the program is is feeling okay feeling well and yes um you know can get back out there as as soon as possible and you know can feel 
feel the way, uh, you know, the side effects and or uh, symptoms, whatever, or no symptoms at all. Uh, get through it as much as, you know, I, I had mentioned on the podcast, my, my experience was, was minimal. And I hope that the same for, for those guys. I, I hope it's, yeah. I hope everybody's okay is the point. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough to deal with it for a second straight winter. And um, if anybody can get through it, it's, it's Ed Cooley. And, and his his program, his positivity, just the way that he handles himself, handles his players. Uh, I, I know he's not thinking a ton about, about basketball right now. He's thinking about okay, how can I how can I take care of my guys in this program? That's just the the kind of Papa Bear he he is when it comes to his players and, and yep. his program. And he mentioned that today. I did hear him on the. I listened to it on the way in. Him on. Uh, the Jim Rome show, yeah, yeah. CBS Sports Radio uh, with yeah. Jim Rome in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. I thought his appearance was phenomenal. Oh yeah, well, of course. Rack him. I'm gonna have a salad with arugula. Yeah, rack him. <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah, but he he was you know fairly positive, which is which is a good thing. Um, and you know hopefully they can be- get back out there soon. And you know in terms of the basketball, it's. It was nice to see. Last week was a was a challenge. One of the first roadblocks that that uh, the team hit this year with with just getting the doors blown off at Marquette, which, as you mentioned, a plus game for the Golden Eagles, uh, tough game for the Friars. It's going to happen. You knew they're not going to win out. They're not going to win every one. And it was a tough outing. It really was in, in a lot of different ways. But they come back home. They settle things down. They play well against St. John's. They get a good victory, and that was good to see. Response again. That's the word that came up with Ed Cooley. Sort of a word that we just brought up with URI is response, and we saw it from the Friars. And so, hopefully, the response out of the COVID pause is that they can continue the momentum that they've had. The Golden Eagles, uh, a really interesting team, finding their way under Shaka Smart. Obviously, Tyler Kolick is there. The Cumberland native, uh, you know, top twenty in the nation in assist rate currently playing superbly, a great fit of player and system. Him running that pick and roll as a point guard, you got to love to play with that guy. Huh. He's finding you going to the rim. He's finding three-point shooters in the opposite wing. Uh, the other night he set a career high against DePaul with 10 assists. Uh, you know, right now, he just looks superb. They have some really good wins, whether it's Illinois, West Virginia, Kansas State on the road. Lost four in a row, UCLA, Xavier, UConn, Creighton in double overtime. Since then, they've beaten Providence by 32, Georgetown by 28 on the road, and DePaul by 11 at home. Um, game where really, uh, I mean, sure, they got a little push from the Blue Demons, but they were never losing that game. I watched a lot of it. Um, you know, So now, all of a sudden, Marquette's 3-3 three and three in, the middle, in, in the Big East and, and firmly in the middle class of the league. Uh, Providence losing that game, granted it, it was lopsided and the way it played out over 40 minutes was was alarming but ultimately that's not going to end up being too bad a loss I, I don't think no and with Kolick good for Shaka and and whatever he saw in Tyler and and building team they nailed it whatever vision he had they nailed it uh the fit is is there and he and the kid is just he is the distributor. I mean, he is he's just left and he is manufacturer. He whatever you want to call him, he's he's doing it for them. Um, and Tyler, I think so. So Ian Steele had had, uh, had interviewed him right before that game. Yeah, that's right. And it, what stood out to me from that was Tyler saying, basically, you know, I'm a different player, and it, I I'm allowed to, and I'm enjoying 
being that facilitator because I have guys around me that make it worth my while to, to pass the ball over to them. It's, it's setting them up. And as opposed to what he was doing when he was in high school and having to sort of put the load on his shoulders, the offensive weight on his shoulders. Right. He doesn't have to do that. He does it in a different way now. Yep. And when you have high-level players like that around you, it makes it easier to pass. You know when you pass the ball, it's it's going to result in something great. And he knows that his role is to do that, and he's doing a heck of a job with it. Uh, he was a lot classier about his response to Ian Steele than I would have been uh, because <laughs> in my mind I would have been thinking, yeah, I was playing at George Mason. My teammates stunk. My coach got fired. Like, there's a reason why I had to score all these points yeah. and be the A-10 Rookie of the Year because nobody else could do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. Sure. Um, you know, but I'm at Marquette and we have some good recruits and, you know, we had a couple decent holdovers and, and all of a sudden we, we got it rolling a little bit. You know, you're at midseason year one under an experienced coach you kind of hope that after 12 13 games this is where it would start to come together a little bit right. uh, and they have shown flashes early and now i think you know we're seeing them be potent on offense uh you know they they look to be a team that you're not going to be able to overlook when they come in here on january 29th for for the rematch and no way you know in terms of big east tournament seeding you you would hope that providence is ahead of them um you know and right now they are two games in the loss column but you would hope that providence would sweep them just for tiebreaker purposes just to finish that off and keep their momentum going uh you know their most recent game quite saturday 83 73 win over st john's a, a game where they were pushed really for about 26 minutes uh, and then really took off in the second half justin Manaya was great great at both ends uh you know made two big three pointers and played really good defense on julian champigny um played all 40 minutes in, in the game uh they're still doing this without aj reeves who has a fractured left pinky uh, he's dealing with, you know, maybe maybe another week, maybe another week after that. Who knows? Uh, for him, mainly, it's pain tolerance. It's whether or not he can handle the ball with his left hand, whether or not he can rebound it with two hands, um, you know, whether or not he can fall on the floor and put his left hand down and brace himself and not do anything worse. The key word they've used is fracture, not break. If it turns into a break, he's four to six weeks, and now we're all the way into late February, March. Right. Wouldn't have any time to get back up to speed for the Big East tournament and, and into the NCAA tournament. So I think they're being very careful with him in that way. Uh, but, Coit, I, I think the main thing to take out of Saturday is the 300th career win for Ed Cooley. It's huge. Um, you know, and I, we saw his reaction, and, and Ian Steele clipped out the, the video, which got a lot of run on, on social media. Uh, of Ed choking up in, in his press conference, um, you know, and just very plainly, clearly saying, you know, zero. The percentages say I should not be sitting here, uh, you know, as someone who grew up in South Providence, who, you know, struggled to get through Central High School and through prep school and into college and, you know, was a history teacher when he gets asked by Al Skinner to come onto his staff at URI. Um, you know, and ultimately is hired by Fairfield as their first black coach and hired by Providence as their first black coach. And, you know, you, you just look at Ed's list of achievements, and, and we touched on this earlier in the year when he won his 200th game at Providence. The list of achievements continue to get longer and longer, and I, I don't think that we should lose sight of the fact that just Ed Cooley being who he is, having the job that he does, 
having done all these things, we shouldn't get desensitized to the fact that what he's doing is so much against the odds. Yeah. As, as he noted, uh, it, it really is. It's a wonderful Rhode Island story. Uh, he's one of the most consequential sports figures in the state that I've covered in, in my 20 years of doing this. I, I really feel like what he's done and what he represents, um, I, I think it's just so important for people to see. And I think the city realizes it because of just how... I mean, he's the unofficial mayor of this place. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And, and people recognize if, it. If you ran a popularity poll, he's going to beat Jorge Alorza by, <laughs> like, yeah. like, by how many points? I mean, holy smokes, right? You said that. I did. Right? That's going to that's gonna look like Providence playing against Rhode Island College yeah. on the floor. Right. Like, like not good. <laughs> And and that's that's all due respect to the mayor and and to the anchorman, but uh, I mean it's it's not close. No, it's not. It's not. And and I think there's there's so many people that uh, do realize the weight of his story, his accomplishments, his achievements. Um, and and Ed himself is just such a charismatic guy. He really is, and that yeah. that plays into it too. I mean, he's so good at relaying his his message and making sure that people know that you can come from South Providence and become the head coach of Providence College and go through what he went through and and get to where he got to and but he always as as many people do and and you know it's it's important to always realize how you got to that point and he's always very you can tell how grateful he is to a guy like Al Skinner who mm-hmm. gave him the opportunity that he did and pulled him out of teaching and put him near the basketball court and um, you know I, I think with with Ed he's building a uh, an impact with you know not only players that he's coached to Providence but with you know, with Fairfield and, you know, even the guys at Boston College where there were guys tweeting out about Ed winning his 300th game as a head coach, guys that he recruited to play under Al Skinner. Yeah, Jared Dudley's usually good for tweets, something like that. I think I like saw that. Troy Bell say something. Troy Bell is really, another one, yeah. He's like, wow, I'm just, you're going through these names and just the impact, it's, it's so striking how much a coach can impact a life and... I, I think uh, I, Bill Belial is coming to my head as as we speak about this and just yes. his passing and you know my my thoughts are with his his family in the in the Mount St Charles community because it just it's amazing how much a, a coach can have that sort of impact yeah. on on thousands of lives thousands I know and with Ed his story continues and and it's different because of the impact because. Of, of the barriers that he's broken too at yeah. these different places in these different schools um, and where he came from he's right that 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 quote that he had that he said if I if I talked to you and told you where I came from you just you wouldn't believe it you just wouldn't you, you have no idea and it, it's right we don't and it's it's uh it's just so it's so impactful what he's doing and um, you know you know we're big Ed Cooley fans just because of uh, the way that he handles himself and, and uh, represents the program. So it's um, it's striking. And the, and the story continues is the best part. Yeah, to borrow the overly used phrase, but Ed keeps it real. Yeah, he and, does. And, and I think that's, <laughs> too, too real sometimes. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that's, you know, he, he is unflinchingly honest, uh, as, as I wrote, uh, you know, in a column for the next day's journal. Um, and if you want to have a serious conversation with, with Ed Cooley, uh, you better come correct. You know, better come from a place where you're dealing in facts and you're confident 
uh, you know, and you're not going to be uncomfortable talking about certain topics because he's going to challenge you in in that way. You know, whether you're a media member, player, um, you know, athletic administrator who he works for, um, you know, donor, booster, fan, whoever it may be. Um, you know, he he is in that way. Um, you know, you get this. He's what we see on the podium is very polished, <laughs> and he's really good with the media. And he was really good with the media at Fairfield. I remember they played at URI, and he had a press conference post game um, where I was very impressed. He he had a kid from Chicago named Derek Needham who was a super player, uh, and he was asked how he got Needham out of Chicago to come to Fairfield, and he said, uh, "If you can get me in a kid's living room, I'm going to get." Mm. And he was just very confident, self-assured, and I'm just like, "Well, who's this guy?" You know, because he was. His story at Central was a little before my time, but people like Paul Kenyon and Kevin McNamara were like, well, this, you know, they filled me in on the backstory, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, you know, but that's just under that surface there. Just under that surface there is still that guy yeah. who scratched and clawed and fought and who was working a full-time job during the day and was an assistant coach at UMass Dartmouth at night. And the guy who had, you know, a couple teachers take an interest in him in Central and got him into a, an outside program for more academic help. And, you know, who drove up to New Hampton, didn't have an acceptance and said, you guys have to take me. I have nowhere else to go. Um, you know, and I think that that sort of struggling, it, it, it breeds a certain... Um, a certain toughness, a certain, you know, mental steel, if you will. Um, you know, and I think Ed pulls that out in certain spots and you see it and you're just like, ooh, you know, he's serious. He means business. This is, you know, this isn't like jovial, uh, you know, light Ed Cooley anymore. This is, you know, Ed Cooley discussing something that he believes in. Um, you know, or that he feels passionately about, and, and maybe you should sit up and listen. Um, you know, he just has that type of presence to him. I'll say this, too, about how far his his impact is and just his reach and, and the, the spotlight that he puts on his program. Uh, I had a, a couple of very good friends from high school get married uh, in Newport uh, in October, as you know. And oh, yes. Yes, yes. I, uh, I got to sit down, which was which was really nice and, and have a few minutes to chat with my my old high school baseball coach, Dwayne Follett, who um, very successful, a multiple state championships, a wonderful baseball program in the town of Plymouth at Plymouth North High School. And he was asking me about, you know, my job and how we was doing down here. And, yeah. you know, because I'm still that. You know that twelve-year-old kid he saw play for you know the, the Nook Road in Little League. And, That's right. Um, yep. You know, but he's he always follows and whatever. And you know, he said one of the first things he said to me, Bill, was, you know, I love that coach of Providence. Yeah. I love that coach of Providence. He's like he's just. I love listening to him talk. I love the way his teams play. He's like I I love that coach of Providence. I'm like. There you go. Okay. I mean, that's there how far is. the reach is. There, I mean, it, the it really is. You know, that's that's what yep. a guy like that can can do in terms of uh, a program. And, and there's no bigger promoter of Providence College basketball than Ed Cooley. And that's the way it should be. And like you said, he's that helps him bring in the next generation of Friars, the next, you know, wave of players that will help him get to the, the, the points that he get, wants to get to on the court. So 
the reach is, is far. It really is. Yeah, long may he continue, uh, and, and ideally we'll see them back on the court here at some point in short order. Uh, you know, we hope everyone there is feeling well, healthy, improving. Um, we want more basketball, so we want them back out there for sure. Uh, we are going to have a couple home games this weekend with Bryant, uh, who is going to finally play an NEC home game this weekend. They play their first three out of their first four on the road. Played that, what, I Sacred should, Heart? I the? should say two out of their first three. Yeah. Fairleigh Dickinson, they were awarded a win. Right. Um, you know, there's a win at Central Connecticut, a win at uh, a a win against Sacred Heart at home, a loss in overtime at Wagner. Which was a great basketball game, by the way. Great game. The Wagner game was a great game. Uh, and, and now you have their first couplet, their first weekend couplet, uh, starting on Saturday with an NEC title game rematch against Mount St. Mary's. And, and Coity, I know we, you know, we were both in the gym last year at the Chase. Uh, we saw the Bulldogs play for their first NCAA tournament bid. Uh, fell shy against the Mountaineers, seventy-three sixty-eight. Um, you know, ended. Arguably the best Division One season in in school history, um, and I can imagine that that Jared Grasso, who did not coach against Wagner, uh, he tested positive for COVID nineteen. Um, apparently, was isolated enough from the rest of his players. Uh, They're fully vaccinated. Uh, if no one showed symptoms, and Jared was away from them, uh, that's how they get back on the floor. Uh, I will not get into all the minutia with the CDC and the NCAA, sure. uh, quite honestly, because I don't really know it that well. Right. But that's how you square that. Um, 1 p.m. tip on Saturday. Uh, then Bryant has St. Francis PA coming in on Monday for Martin Luther King Day. That's at 7. Uh, I, it's a big weekend for the Bulldogs, Coit. Uh, you know, I, I think that... Right now, you're sitting in the league standings. You're three and one. You're favored to win both of these games. I think it's a huge statement game on Saturday. A, a, a big time get back game for Bryant. I, I know they felt like they let a, a, a huge opportunity slip last year against Mount St. Mary's, uh, who upset Wagner on the road to give Bryant a home game. Bryant hammered Sacred Heart in their semifinal. Uh, I can imagine that, that Bryant's going to have a little extra zip. Uh, on Saturday when the ball goes up. They're not going to forget about that. No. That's at the, fr- that's at the no, front no, of their no, minds. No. They, they know. They know. And they know that they had to get through that Sacred Heart game, if you remember, because they had some COVID-19 issues. That's right. And they ended up, as you said, hammering Sacred Heart, which at the time was really quite the story. The fact that they got, what, seven, eight guys on the court, whoever it was, that could play. Erickson Vance had a super game. I mean, it was it was huge. Surprise starter. And they got some guys back for the NEC title game, but you knew that it was sort of a... I, I bet you some of those guys think, man, if that hadn't happened, you know, a, a guy like a... A guy like a Charles Pride, you have to think to yourself, like, man, I could have had some... You know, more help around me, number one. But number two, I, I could have played a little bit better if I wasn't sort of out of my rhythm for, you know, a couple of days. Or a guy like Peter Kiss, if he wasn't out of his rhythm for a couple of days because of what they had to deal with with these COVID issues. Not an excuse, but they they know. They know that that impacted how they played that night. And yeah. they want to come back. They want to come back strong. And they... they absolutely are going to have a hair across their rear end when Mount St. Mary's comes in Saturday. Yeah, uh, Michael Green III and, and Chris Childs really had tough nights against Mount St. Mary's. It was Mary's them, and, sorry. And sorry. One, it was uh, Charles that was carrying them in that, that Charles had 33 points. Yeah, right. right, right, right. Uh, you know, and, and it played was Childs well, but, I was thinking of. But to your point, though, 
you know, Charles Pride had one assist in that game. Yeah. Who's he going to pass the ball to? Sure. He had 33 points. He's 8 for 12 from 3. But guaranteed, that's that's generally not, you know, he's not the type of guy who's going to go out there and get 40. He can get 30 and 10 rebounds. But it was just, it was so much of... Mount St. Mary sort of said, all right, just let him go off. We'll handle everybody else. And they did. I mean, Hall Elijah was a little bit slowed. He yeah. was injured at that point, second half of the year. Uh, Peter Kiss had 12 and 12. He was 5 for 10 from the field. You can't really say 12 and 12 is a non-factor, but no. they would have needed more. Sure. Uh, Michael Green was 2 for 12. Childs was 1 for 7. And, was, and those were guys yeah. who really made them go last year, who, who were really important. Uh, you know, and you, you get into a, a situation like that where you're changing your lineup game to game to game with the biggest stakes involved. It, it's, it's very difficult to win that way. Um, you know, I look at Bryant now, and, and I think they're 3-1 and one in the league. It's a good start. 5-1 uh, and one in the league looks a lot better. You really want those home games in the NEC tournament. Um, you know, that means finishing as high as you can. If you can get the number one seed, you don't need to travel. That's great, because in that league, all the travel's by bus. It's not necessarily easy to play three games in six or seven days. No. Especially not if you have to go out to, like, Mount St. Mary's, which is... In Emmitsburg, Maryland, in the Western Hills, it is not an easy trip. Uh, if you have to go to Wagner and sit in all that traffic getting to Staten Island, that is not an easy trip. You don't want to make that one either. Um, you know, So I think a, a critical stretch for the Bulldogs here uh, with two home opponents you're favored to beat. You're at Merrimack next. Nice short trip uh, You know, next Friday night. Coin flippish type game. Um, you know, I, I think that I wrote, as they got into NEC play, it was a perfect chance for them to turn the page. They played a very difficult non-conference schedule. They got beat up a little bit. They had some guys out due to health and safety protocols. They had some, you know, some nagging injuries here and there. They were struggling to find the rotation. Um, if they give the effort like they gave at, at, at Wagner the other night, oh. and they do that every night for 40, 45 minutes, I don't think they're going to have much of a problem with, with a lot of teams here. Fabulous game. It really was. So high level. Uh, good for them for competing the way that they did. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. If they have that kind of effort, good good luck to anybody trying to stop them. You know, even even Wagner. I mean, that game goes as deep as it did. Um, it was it was fun. It was entertaining. I'd love to see that in an NEC championship game. Um, I, I really would. As stressful as it might be for those teams, it was just it was really really a great. Great night of basketball, and and I think it, it left Bryant too. Talking to Phil Martelli Jr. after the game, who yeah, stepped right. in for Jared, right? Um, it left them with the confidence that you know, okay, because they, they at times they've been searching this season a little bit for some consistency and some, you know, some of those big nights that you know they've been accustomed to from certain guys. But I, I thought they all played. It was a it was a night where they said, you know, okay, if we play like this. If this is in us and we bring this to the floor as much as we can, good luck stopping us. We we have the confidence that we can go out there and and we can beat, you know, particularly anybody in this conference. But we can beat a, a lot of teams on a given night. So, um, yeah, it was it was great to see them, 
you know, show out the way that they did. Yeah, really, um, you know, really entertaining game. I'd sign up for another one of those. Uh, you know, when they meet again in, in Smithfield, I'd sign up for a third one yep. if they meet in the NEC tournament. Yep. Uh, you know, the only thing that I would change is, is Bryant winning uh, and ultimately going to the NCAAs. I, I think that would be a great story. Um, you know, if they're able to secure a first berth in, in program history, those were the top two teams in the preseason poll. You would have expected them to play that way. Um, and we'll see what Bryant has in store for us on Saturday. Uh, you would hope for the same focus, the same effort. Um, you know, even if it's not Wagner out there, uh, you know, you you need to see some consistency now going forward. You need to see Bryant build off of that and and establish some sort of higher competitive baseline as they go forward. Uh, the same could be said of Brown, quite uh, you know, who split. Last weekend with Harvard and with Dartmouth, uh, they won the Friday night game against the Crimson, 84-73. They lost at Dartmouth, 58-46. A, a bit of a stinker uh, up in Hanover. Uh, and, and quite if I if I had said to you that Brown was going to go one and one last weekend, um, you might have expected them to win at Dartmouth and lose at Harvard. Uh, you know, even with the Crimson coming off an extended. COVID pause. Brown has had good luck with Harvard recently. They've they won four in a row really against well. them now. Yeah. Um, you know, but you might say Harvard's the more pedigree program. They've won Ivy League championships recently. Tommy Emmicker recruits at a very high level. Uh, once you beat Harvard, though, you're thinking, we get a chance to sweep here. We're 2-1. and one. We're in decent shape coming back home. Uh, you know, eventually the second half of the schedule will be heavy on home games. Uh, you know, so maybe we improved to two and one on the road here. We're going to Princeton on Saturday. That's a difficult one. Uh, you know, you got Yale coming in for Martin Luther King Day. That's going to be a difficult one. We beat Harvard. The bonus game is Dartmouth. We can beat them. It doesn't happen. And so you're looking at Brown and you're thinking, the one and two in the league, generally to feel safe for top four spot in the Ivy, you need at least nine wins. You really want to have 10. 11's pretty much going to guarantee you getting there. You're looking at Brown with 13 games left. Or sorry, 11 games left. My, my math is not Ivy League standard. <laughs> 11 games left. They've got some heavy lifting to do now. Yeah, they do. They, they do. Um, you know, they, there is some urgency here. Uh, I mentioned this on the pod last week with, with Maury Hirschgordon. Uh, you know, it's not... It's much too early to talk about must wins or anything like that, but it's going to get laid early for these guys. It is. Yeah. It, it's funny how you start out with a few games here in conference play and all of a sudden, you, you know, you start looking at the standings very, very quickly and, and what you've got left on your schedule because everything becomes so important. Um, and you're right. I, the good news for Brown, and I think the games that are really going to be uh, crucial for them. The good news is they've only got technically. I don't know if you want to count two games in three days as back to back. I don't know if I. You could, if you want to. You say there's three back to backs on their schedule left. If you don't want to, you have the day in between. You've got two back to backs. It's spaced out a little bit, but the the second game of those back to backs, particularly when they're home, Bill, are going to be crucial. Yes, because I think in the one game spot, the one game weekend. I think this team has shown you that they come out, they prepare well, and they can beat you. They'll have their legs to hit, what was it, 15 threes at Harvard? They were 15 for 26 from three Yeah, at Harvard. 
They were four for 26 from three there the it is. next night at Dartmouth. There it is. And you don't want to be a team that lives and dies by the three, and I don't think this team is that because they have a guy like you know Tim and Inc. Joe who can impact the game in a lot of different ways. But I look at a guy like you know a Jalen Ganey at Dartmouth, and I say, you know, you've you've got to have a a better showing, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, and that's is that the effect of the back to back? I'm not sure, um, but. You need more out of guys like that who can impact the game on the second of those back-to-backs, which you're going to face. Those are going to be the toughest minutes that you play. And if you can get over the hump in those games, then you're going to set yourself up well. Because I think the first nights, whenever it is, you know, you go to Princeton, I think you're going to be well-prepared. Mm-hmm. This program always is. Mike, yeah. He prepares them well. The coaching yeah. staff prepares them well. You know, but... Is Monday, is that going to, are you going to feel the effects of it? You know, hopefully with a day off, maybe not. Um, but really those Saturdays after the Fridays, it's it's hard. It's tough. But that's, that's what you're faced with. And now they become more crucial because of, you know, the start that you've had in Ivy League play. Tough assignment. Princeton's really good, 12-3 uh, and three at this point. Uh, they have wins over South Carolina. Oregon State, who is completely tanked but was in the Elite Eight last year. Yeah. Um, but they are coming out of a COVID pause too, Bill. So timing-wise, you know, you hate for that to happen with Yale, but timing-wise, does that set up for you? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, you know, if you can get the game at Princeton, you do have Yale at home. You would imagine that's your first Ivy League home game. Uh, that's an off day for a lot of folks, uh, Martin Luther King Day. You, you would hope that they'd get a little bit of a crowd out there. We've seen what it can be like at the Pizzatola Center. Uh you know, if they get some people in there, it's a good atmosphere. I, I plan to be there that night, I, I think. I think. We'll see. Depending <laughs> on my schedule, we'll, we'll see. I'll be there. Uh, ideally, I, I would like to be. You know I'll be there. Um, you know, because I think that's an important one. Um, you know, I, I look at Harvard and Dartmouth, and, and I think your, your point about back-to-backs is a good one. You look later in the year, your home games on the second half of those back-to-backs are Dartmouth and Penn. If you're going to be in the Ivy League playoffs, you have to finish above both of those yeah, you teams. Do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Penn is sort of the the team that you would look at among the typical top four and say they're the weak one. You can pick them off. Uh, you know, it's less likely you're going to pick off Princeton or Yale that they're going to finish fifth. But you can pick off Penn and you can pick off Harvard. They've already lost that Penn. So it's going to be critical that they win that game at home and, and get a split if tiebreakers become involved or anything else. Um, you know, the other night against Harvard, Keno Lilly superb the first night. Uh, you know, was great in the game at Harvard. Has 23 points the next night. He's 2 for 10 from the field. Perry Cohen hits five threes against Harvard. Uh, has a career high in, in points. Next night he's 1 for 5 from 3. Uh, you know, really the only guy who showed up was T. Cho, had 23 points and, and 12 rebounds. Paxson Wojcik had zero. He was 0 for 7 from the field. And that's an important guy that can have a huge impact in the game. Huge guy. Jalen Ganey, two points, one rebound. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you've got veteran guys there who, who, just, who just didn't show. And, you know, you need more than that. And, and I think, you know, the, the really disappointing thing was Brown Knights had nothing lead in that game. Yeah, right. They, they started well enough, uh, you know, had a 10 nothing lead inside the first three or four minutes and then scored 36 points the rest of the way. I, I mean, it was really, you know, I sort of had it on out of the corner of my eye and I was like, oh, goodness, when was the last time they had a field goal? 
you know, when was the last time they scored? Yeah. It, it was it was just in the mud early, and and they couldn't get out of it. Um, you know, and and that's going to be if if that ends up being the game that keeps them out of the Ivy League tournament, uh, that that would be a shame. Of course, um, because they are a better team than Dartmouth, I I think, and you know, I think they will prove that when the Big Green come here on on February fifth. Uh, you know, but you could argue, Coit, that that this is going to be the most challenging Ivy League weekend they have. Uh, you know, playing Princeton and Yale in the space of three days. I, I think these are the two best teams in the league right now, uh, and it is imperative that Brown get a split here. Well, I think a, a win at Princeton would go a long way into sort of bringing them back to That's a steal. Pack. Oh, yeah. That's be, a steal. Oh, it'd be you, huge. You get that one. Of course. Yeah. But it would also it would go a long way for everybody in terms of trying to, because they're off to what, a 2-0 and start in the league. Yeah. Princeton wins again. They're 3-0. and Here comes Princeton. There they go. They're shooting up the standings. If Brown could go and pick them off, you know, Brown sets himself back up into, okay, bringing, them, bringing ourselves back into the pack, but knocking Princeton down a little bit yep. uh, would help everybody because, you know, if they start surging, then, you know, you know Princeton is a really, really good program. So, you know, and again, it's the first game of the weekend for them. So ideally, you think you're going to be very, very well prepared going in there. And with the depth that Brown has, they really lean on that. See what you can do. So go ahead, Brown. Do the rest of the Ivy League a favor and us. Yeah. Give us <laughs> right. give us a little storyline even further into the year. Uh, go ahead and knock off Princeton and then give us a showdown against Yale on Monday night. I think that's an early five o'clock tip, uh, which is which is nice. Uh, Yale, yep. That's that's yep. nice. Yep, I may have to take the uh, six o'clock news off that night. Nice. Okay. You could uh, still go out to dinner after the game, and it'll be a beautiful thing. <laughs> yep. Um, Cody, got anything else? Uh, no. Um, I'll just say I hope everybody's happy and healthy out there as much as you can be. Uh, and, you know, obviously in particular Providence, hope to see them back on the floor very, very soon out of the COVID pause. And just glad to uh, glad glad to be talking about this a little bit again because I think the, the holiday season was a uh, – it was it was rocky because of all the things that were going on with this virus again. So. It was looking a little bleak. Uh, yeah. You know, we're hoping that that Omicron runs through quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the health models that we have seen out of the state and nationally suggest that it is peaking or has peaked. Uh, you know, and ideally, uh, most folks have have come along and gotten vaccinated. Uh, you know, we are seeing. Uh, you know, much less hospitalization, serious illness among the vaccinated. Uh, you know, it's it's largely unvaccinated folks who are struggling right now. And, and we really wish that wasn't the case. We, we wish that uh, you would take advantage of, of the wonders of, of modern science and, and what it's done here in such a short period of time. And, and uh, you know, help us out. Help yourselves out. Uh, you know, help your families out. Um, you know, by going out and, and getting a couple free shots. It's yeah. really not that hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the second one, I really felt terrible. I, I won't <laughs> I won't try to hide that. It, it felt like I'd been in Vegas for four or five days, uh, you know, which is generally not advisable, folks. Only go for two days. Sure. Come back on the third one. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at most, come back on the fourth That's one. It's good advice. I think I spent one too many when I was out there. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle <laughs> if, if you do too many. It, it's that kind of town. Um, you know, but uh, we, we hope that everyone's feeling well and, and healthy. Uh, Amen. You know, and enjoying the hoops yep. uh, because we certainly are. And we will continue to do so through the weekend. Thank you all very much.